Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everyone. I'm talking in circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow. Another great episode. We're breaking down the Bank of America 500 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. An interesting race that featured a lot of uh, carnage early on and a lot of carnage throughout the race. Kyle Busch had some issues. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. ran in the backup car. The PJ1 was an interesting topic throughout the day. We'll get into that. Plus, a little bit of an interesting uh, non-penalty, I guess you can call it, from Jimmy Johnson hit in the 48 team. Was that the right call? Does that rule make sense? We'll discuss that. Plus a little interesting article from Tommy Joe Martins that came out tonight uh, via the jeffbluck.com. And we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here tonight on Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow with you. But, John, let's get to it first, the Bank of America 500. And, you know, I was just saying, Martin Church Jr., it's amazing the, the how good he's been in his career here at Furniture Racing. I mean, the guy had two wins in his first eight full-time seasons in the Cup Series. He's got ten right now in two seasons, in the last two seasons of Furniture Racing, and it doesn't seem like he's stopping anytime soon. This team, especially in the mile and a half, is the class of the field. Now, they weren't the class of the field for most of the day. Kevin Harvick had a really, really good run, led a lot of the race, but in the end it was Martin Truex Jr. going to victory lane, John. Yeah, the first year Martin Truex Jr. was at Furniture Row Racing, though, it was almost a dumpster fire because Kurt Busch got him into playoffs his one year at Furniture Row Racing. Truex comes in, and they couldn't get out of their own way. And then they made the switch of crew chief and put Cole Pern in charge, and it just took off from there. It's almost like Cole Pern can read Martin Truex Jr.'s mind. That, like that. <laughs> that 78, I was going to say, that 78 team has been phenomenal, though. Um, yeah. And it's just not true, Truex and Cole Pern. Truex qualified 15th on uh, for Sunday's race. And they went through, and I was watching the race, and the guys on NBC said the pit crew of Martin Truex Jr. got him 10 spots. So, in reality, Truex passed four cars on the track because he got 10 of them on pit road. Uh, same thing Man. with Jimmy Johnson's team. They got a bunch of spots. He qualified 25th. They got a bunch of spots on pit road. Um, the pit crews have been making a difference because you look at the way that race went. If you got out front, nobody was passing you. I mean, you had your shot at the restart, but once somebody got in clean air, nobody was getting to them. Harvick was the class of the field most of the day, but once they had that final pit stop and they had a 14 second pit stop instead of, uh, the 11s, they've been knocking out all day, and Harvick restarted sixth. There was nothing he could do. Yeah, clean air is king, and especially, you know, when you get back in the dirty air after running the clean air for so long. I think, you know, it's hard to adjust on your race car when you're out in the lead and everything's good and, and the car handles perfectly out in the clean air, but when you get behind in the dirty air, your car just doesn't handle the same way as it does, and it starts to develop different handling characteristics, and you can't adjust to that. And I think that's the biggest problem. Uh, that that Harvick found is that he was able to get his way to the field and finish third, but his car wasn't as fast because he was behind people in the dirty air and, and it affects your handling. 
Um, but, I, you know, hats off. You talked about Cole Pern, John. I mean, hats off to this team so far. I mean, this is – they're into the the round the third round already. And when you look at their points, it's amazing. They're going to be in that homestead. We've been talking about this for a while, but they're going to be in that homestead, hands down, not even close. They could wreck a Talladega. They could uh, blow an engine at Kansas, go to Martinsville and, and uh, not even, you know, start the engine and pull it in if they wanted to. Uh, and probably the same thing at Texas and Phoenix, and they'd make homestead. I mean, they've really taken this new format of getting bonus points, winning races, doing everything they need to do. They've really done it and, and taken this new format and just absolutely run with it. And uh, right now they're the hands-down favorite to win this championship. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think they're in really good shape. Um, they still have to perform halfway decent in the third round. I mean, it's not like they can – blow three engines and be locked into Homestead. They have a big lead over everybody, but not that big a lead. Um, but I think you're right. As long as they run halfway decent, they're locked in to go to Homestead, and they'll be one of the final four. And I don't see – I mean, how how great is it to have the luxury that you're already in and you can go to Talladega and even either go for it and only care about bringing home the steering wheel or ride the back and not care? and not worry about getting yourself tore up or not worried about getting hurt. Sit back there, run 40th, and not give a crap. I mean, that's the advantage Martin Truex Jr. has by winning uh, yesterday at Charlotte. I mean, that team is just locked in. And it was um, even a more telling moment in victory lane whenever uh, Martin kind of – couldn't say anything because he was just thinking about his girlfriend, Sherry Pollux, who's going through another round of uh, battling with ovarian cancer and that she's got chemo coming up. And when they showed him the uh, picture of Sherry with her 78 t-shirt pointing at the TV, when Martin crossed the finish line and says chemo on Monday, victory lane on Sunday. I mean, how it brings it all home. I mean, yeah. They race, they enjoy racing, but here's the love of his life, and she's fighting the biggest battle you could ever do. Racing is something they love, something they enjoy, but he's looking at a bigger picture, which is much more than racing. Absolutely, and I think that's uh, – it makes you pull for the guy. I mean, this is – you know, a lot of the times when a season like this happens with somebody where they have just been a class of the field, and it's really been a season and a half for Truex – where they're winning all the time and they're the fastest car usually all the time, people start to develop a natural disdain for people because for some that person because they're sitting there going, hey, listen, this guy wins too much. My guy's not winning. I want to see my guy go to victory lane. Heck with this guy. He's he's won enough races. Yeah, it was nice at first. It was nice to see him in the first four or five races win, but now he's over that number. You know what? I'm done seeing him, but we're not seeing that with Mark Trucks Jr. at all. He's a, he's a likable guy. Um, he, he's he's a great with the fans, his wife, his girlfriend, excuse me, uh, that battle, like you talked about off the racetrack, it makes you full form, no doubt about it. And I think uh, that's something that the 78 team has in their back pocket as far as the likability. Everybody seems to really like this race team. Um, when you talk, look at Sunday's results, John, uh, you talk about Kevin Harvick. He ran great. Chase Elliott, another second-place finish for him. Uh, this guy, kid's coming so close to a win. Just cannot do it. But I think Kevin Harvick in that four car made a statement on Sunday. I thought, and I thought he was very good at Dover. He had some issues there on pit road. I think he had a flat tire or a loose wheel where he had to pit at Dover and got a couple laps back, and, and he was able to get 
a lap or two back, and he finished, I think, 17th. But this was a statement for this four team. Um, right now, they're the only Stuart Haas racing car in this chase. They're the only four that really seems to be showing up. I mean, Kozlowski didn't run very good on Sunday again. Uh, Blaney had a decent run, but he wasn't great. Uh, but the only four that's really showed their mojo here is Kevin Harvick and his four team. And a very solid run at Charlotte, led 149 laps. Uh, they're going to a crap shoot next weekend at Talladega, but when you look at Kansas in two weeks, and you could take what you learned here at Charlotte and bring it to Kansas, I think that four team's sitting in a pretty good spot here, John, uh, to, to make it to the next round because they're really the Ford's only hope. I think Stuart Haas found something over the past few weeks. I mean, Kurt Busch was right there till the very end, until he uh, spun out and caused the last caution and got into Kyle Larson and kind of messed up his day a little bit where he finished 10th because Larson was up there challenging for the front. But all four Stuart Haas cars qualified in the top 12, and that's not been done all year. I mean, it's not been done in the history of Stuart Haas racing. So, I mean, it was the first time they ever did that. Even Danica qualified 12th. But Harvick was great all day long. I mean, he won the first two stages. He hasn't shown anything like that since Atlanta. And, again, it's one of those ones where I think Stuart Haas is finally figuring out what they need to do with the Fords. And I think um, Penske, Team Penske, along with the Wood Brothers, who's basically Team Penske Part 3, are still a little gun-shy off of whatever happened in the Joey Logano penalty back in Richmond because they have not been the same across the board since. I mean, Keselowski, I mean, he finished, what was it, um, 15th. He was on the lead lap, but he didn't really show anything all day. Um, Blaney took took home 8th. He was 10th to 12th today. Nothing really to write out with either of them. But I think Stuart Haas has found something with those fours. I mean, with the Fords. And I, Kevin Harvick, when you heard him after the race, he says, yeah, we knocked off a lot of great pit stops during the day. We didn't have the best one at the end. He said, and the other thing he said when the VHT started uh, wearing out, that he couldn't run the line he'd been running all day. So he figured it was a second, third place car after that because of catching Truex once he got in front. But I think Harvick said, we found something and we're confident going forward. And you haven't heard that out of Kevin Harvick most of the season. No, and, and I think confidence is a good thing to have, obviously, in these playoffs. Um, and, you know, I just think it was a – as far as speed, you talked about it, all 12, all four Stuart Haas cars in the top 12. As far as raw speed goes, that's what you want to see, and I think it was a good day, step in the right direction for that team as well. Um, Denny Hamlin had a good run. I mean, he, you know, we haven't really seen him, uh, you know, take this in – a championship by storm here yet. He still got some. They still got some work to do on the 11 car. I think the 78, the 18, and the 42 are still the uh, top three as far as the championship is concerned for in a lot of people's eyes. But the 11 has been fast. They had a decent run again on Sunday. But I give a call to Jim McMurray, a guy who um, I think I've been very, very hard on all year. You know, just because he doesn't have the points, uh, the, the the bonus points all year, because he's had a really fast race car. Um, and he just hasn't won a lot of stages and won a race yet this year. But a good points day for him. Uh, he's a great plate racer. And if he can go to Talladega, come out of Talladega in the top, you know, six or set five or, or six in points, he should be able to advance. And you never know what would happen after that. But a solid day for Jim, Jamie McMurray. I think if they had a, a, a wreck here it would have been a, a, or a bad day, 
it would have been bad for McMurray just because he hasn't the bonus points to lay on. But a nice, solid fifth-place run for that one team, I think that's one of the best runs we've seen from them in a long time, really since probably April, where they rattled off a nice top-five run. I think McMurray showed a little bit of patience that he hasn't really showed through the middle part of the season. There was a couple times where it looked like he got in the wall, or there was a couple times where he was in a three-wide um, gaggle that he didn't really want to be a part of, so he backed off and dropped a couple positions. I mean, he was always between third and tenth all day long. And when he was in tenth, it was because he got out of what could have been trouble and figured he'd, learned, he'd live to fight another day and wound up pulling out a top-five finish. It was a good day for Jamie McMurray and the one team. Um, Kyle Larson, I mean, while we're on Chip Ganassi racing, Kyle Larson was up front all day. And it's a shame that Kurt Busch's spin where he got into him a little bit uh, kind of messed up his day. He wound up 10th place, and it was really classy to see Kurt Busch um, go down on pit road and find Kyle Larson and basically explain to him, it's like, hey, I, I just got loose. There was nothing I could do to hold it. I'm sorry that I messed up your day. I'm glad you came back and got a 10th out of it, but I'm sorry that anything that happened from my end took your day and made your day worse than it could have been. So, I mean, it was really classy, Kurt Busch. I mean, it's something you wouldn't have seen four or five years ago. Kurt Busch would have basically gave him the finger and said, hey, you shouldn't have been in my way. Now it's um, Kurt actually going down saying, hey, I'm I'm sorry. I got, I got wide. I mean, I lost. I mean, the car went out from under me. Wasn't a whole lot I could do. And he even said, I mean, Kurt, you listen to Kurt, he said it's something about these Fords that we haven't figured out yet. Yeah, and that was what was, uh, I think a lot of Ford teams can echo that. And, and we talked about Team Penske struggles. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, but, yeah, I I think everybody's kind of in the same boat, except for that Ford team. Maybe this Ford team has found some. I'm curious to see what's going to happen at Kansas in two weeks. You know, Talladega, it's a fun race, but it's just, you know, it's so different from anything we do. Uh, so it really doesn't matter next week as far as their, how they run. Um, a, you, we talked about the, the PJ1 factor. I mean, I think it was a factor. You talked about Harvick uh, said that he didn't um, – he had to change his line at the end. Uh, Ryan Newman completely destroyed it at the end uh, when he wrecked. Uh, he wrecked early in the race on that 43, said it's awful. Dale Earnhardt Jr. said they should never do it again. A lot of complaints about the PJ1. Kyle Busch got in the wall three or four times on Sunday. Uh, a lot of complaints about the PJ1 this weekend at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I think the hot weather had a lot to do with it. I heard on Sirius that they said that when they sprayed the PJ1 down, the machine had a couple of the sprayers clogged, and there was some uh, something broken on it where it didn't spray the adhesive evenly, and that's what caused the issues. Um to me, I hate seeing a championship determined by something that is that is like out of the drivers and teams' control. As far as the, VP, the PJ One, I know Charlotte Motor Speedway had the best intentions doing it, but it really threw a curveball to a lot of these teams. And should Kyle Busch miss the championship because the PJ One was laid down? I'm not so unevenly. I'm not so sure that's the case. Now, everybody was in the same boat for sure, but uh, what are your thoughts on the PJ1, John? I think um, after the debacle on Friday where Junior hit the wall, had to go to a backup car, Kyle Busch hit the wall but stayed with his uh, primary car, you saw problems. So basically they said, we're not going back out with the PJ1. They went out with the tire dragger on Saturday night. And I don't think, I mean, it wasn't that hot at Charlotte. 
it was just muggy because they were expecting the rainstorm to come in. So they were trying to get the race in before the rains hit. That's why they moved it up an hour. And then they moved it up another 10 minutes. Um, I think the humidity and the VH1 didn't equal out or the PJ1 or whatever the hell we're calling it this week. I think the humidity in that didn't work out. I think the tire dragger, I mean, I think they should be dragging tires on these tracks all the time. I mean, they should start with the track rubbered up. And instead of hoping for, I mean, if the rain comes in, it washes it out, which is expected. But, I mean, they need to be able to have the, I mean, if they need to somehow have rubber in the track. And the more it washes off, the worse it gets. And it turns into a one-groove track. And as it is with a mile and a half, it's almost follow the leader. If you get out front, you're going to run away for a while. And, I mean, you look. Denny Hamlin led until the first pits. I mean, they had the pit stop, and Harvick wound up getting them. Harvick let, led a good bit of the race. The reason Truex got him was after a pit stop, he's up front and got a good got a good start out front. And for some reason, Truex is able to pass whenever you need to, and nobody else is able to. I mean, most everybody yeah. got their leads after pit stops. And Truex, he, he's amazing with that. Watch him do that. Um, you brought up an interesting point about the PGA one. I think when you think about it, you know, starting with the track rubbered in, like you said, you know, they should run the tire dragging the whole time. I, I think a lot of people would agree with you, but my question to you is why has this changed in 15 years? You know, going back to, to 2003 or four, you know, and even the early nine, like nineties, early nineties, we've never had anything that would drag. There was no need to drag the rubber on the racetrack to make this a more entertaining race. There was no need for PJ one on these racetracks to make it for a more entertaining race. Is it the tires? Is it the race cars? Is it just the way they built the asphalt a lot better than what it used to be? What is the reason of why we need this? Why do we on these, on these mile and a half tracks and all these racetracks, what's different? And do you think maybe if we've made, different changes elsewhere, it would be a better change than putting a, uh, a sticky substance on the racetrack? I think part of it is the tire. I mean, you've you've been to Dover as many as I have. And you remember, you go to the race, and 50 laps in, it's black on the bottom. It's black with a little bit of gray in the middle. <clears throat> it doesn't lay fine powder anymore instead of sticking into the track so it must be it's partially probably something Goodyear is doing with the tire compound because they haven't changed the concrete at Dover in forever um Bristol did it because the way they redesigned the track screwed up the racing so they wanted to get people down on the bottom again and make it where you could go top or bottom um Charlotte I mean they're trying everything they can to make that race relevant the way it used to be because they used to be able to go top bottom on Charlotte, but it takes a couple years. I mean, four or five years to get the pavement worn out. And you don't see them thinking about doing it in Atlanta because Atlanta did their pavement 15 years ago. So there's got to be a difference in the pavement. There's definitely a difference in the tire compound that Goodyear brings because they keep bringing harder tires because they're going faster. They don't want the tire to blow because they're afraid they're going to go with the tires going faster as they are. So Goodyear's erring on the side of caution, which I don't blame them. You don't want to be Hoosier with you look whenever they had the tire wars, whoever could bring the softest tire in, and Hoosier was blowing tires out, steel bonnet because the tires couldn't hold up. 
So yeah, I mean, I think Goodyear a lot of is it, trying to err on the side of caution. I think maybe a lot of it, too, if, if, if you're on the fact that it's Goodyear, and tires, you know, you go back to Indianapolis 2008, and when, when we had the, the tire that gave out after 12 laps, and we had to throw caution every 12 laps, because if not, the tire was going to blow. That was an unbelievably embarrassing day for Goodyear. It was an unbelievable, unbelievably embarrassing day for NASCAR. It was a bad day for Indianapolis, and I don't think Indianapolis, the NASCAR part of Indianapolis has ever recovered from that day. And I think they try so hard now to say, well, listen, I don't care what tire you bring, just don't bring no, don't don't have another Indianapolis because we can't afford that. Um, so I was just I was just curious now then when we got on the PJ one of what you thought the reasoning was behind that. But uh, a couple of other interesting notes in the race, you know, we saw Hendrick Motorsports put up a, a good fight um, at Dover. Chase Elliott had led a couple of laps this weekend, but Jimmy Johnson didn't do a whole lot either here, John. You know, he finished seventh. Casey Kane was ninth. Dale Jr. twelfth. I mean, they've had worse days, um, but not a great day. Not a, not a day we see in these mile and a half where we usually see the 48 team be like Jaws, where they start off, even if they start off a little bit behind, they usually figure it out and then go to the lead. Uh, not the case here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. A track Jimmy Johnson used to run very, very well at. Seventh is a good day, but he's going to have to run better than that if he wants to compete for a championship. If you think about Jimmy Johnson's seventh place finish, I mean, I was listening to Earl Barbin today with Jim and Chocolate on Sirius XM NASCAR radio. And Earl was basically saying Jimmy was always searching for where the car would work. And he said it would work a few laps up top and then it wouldn't work there anymore. He said it would work a few laps on the bottom. The fact that they started 25th and got to seventh, I mean, that was done by the pit crew. And should have been worse and we'll talk about that in a little bit but I mean the pit crew got him to where he was I mean Jimmy wasn't really a factor he was every now and then he'd be in the top five but it wasn't your typical Jimmy Johnson where you see him in your rear view mirror and you start saying holy crap he's coming look out it was like you'd see him in his rear view mirror for about a lap and then he'd get further back yeah that's that's what's crazy about this season for the Cendric Motorsports cars is that they seem to run very good everywhere else. They had their hands around Dover pretty well. Um, I think, obviously, Talladega, anybody can run there, and I think they'll be strong there. But these mile-and-a-half tracks have really been a big problem for them. They're behind the Toyotas, and I don't think they've put as much, gained as much on it as, say, the four-car has on the other three. 917-889-8280 here talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. Real quick, John, before we get to the Jimmy Johnson uh, non-penalty thing, another tough day for Team Penske. Um, you talked about it earlier, Logano nowhere near the front. Uh, he was two laps down. You know, Blaney finished eighth, but he was a, a tenth to fifteenth place car all day. Kozlowski ended up fifteenth. You know, they had issues, a, cu- a couple issues there here and there, Team Penske. But I'll tell you what, they just don't have the raw speed right now to go out there and compete. And that twenty-two car was horrible at Dover, and another tough day here at, at Charlotte. And it's just, you know, you got to wonder when the bleeding is going to stop for. Team Penske because this two car still has a shot at this championship and he's going to be strong at Holiday and no doubt about it. But again, they're going to have to compete in the mile and a half if they want to win this championship. I think the 22 cars become the experiment car for now for the rest of the season. Um, I think they were saying, okay, we've got a decent package for Charlotte where we're going to finish top 10, top 15 and help keep ourselves in this thing where we've got a fighting chance. 
but I think they were trying things in Logano's car to see if it would work for Kansas or for Homestead or any of the, or Texas, the mile and a half we have going forward. I think Joey Logano's the experiment car. And if you're out of the, out of the playoffs, that's what he should be. I mean, they shouldn't be putting all their ducks in a row on Joey Logano to say, Hey, we need to get him a win. They should be focusing everything they can on the two and the 21 because those two guys have a shot at the big picture, the whole championship when it comes to it. So I think Logano is the experimental car right now, sort of like we used to always say the 25 was at Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, well, that is the way it seems because it's just whatever they do, they can't seem to uh, find some speed in that 22 car. But a interesting tidbit of the, of the sto- of the race, John, an interesting story after the race came about was really what happened with Jimmy Johnson on pit road. Um, Jimmy Johnson visited pit road on lap 283 at 337. This is from motorsport.com. And after his team had completed the stop, Johnson began to leave his stall, but stopped immediately when his, when he was told by his team that lug nuts on his left front tire were unsecure. The 48 team were, was not fully in the box. The car was outside the box. They went out, fixed the lug nuts and continued now, Johnson had to restart 16th there because of the extra time. That cost him a pit road. But it doesn't make sense that that's not a penalty to me. Um, NASCAR officials have come out and said that uh, we had a similar thing happen at New Hampshire, and NASCAR informed us that we – this is Jimmy Johnson, excuse me. NASCAR informed us that we didn't need to go back to the box and complete the stops. So that's why Chad had me stop where we did. Scott Miller said we've been calling this – consistently the past couple of years with lug nuts. The way we look at it is that they did their normal pit stop in the box. He left. They realized they had missed the lug nut, and at that point it becomes a safety issue. We allow them to put the lug nuts on, and the penalty becomes the loss of 10 or 12 spots during that pit stop. We let them do that because we want to make sure it's a safe situation out there on the racetrack, end quote. Now, I'm not saying they haven't called it this way the last couple of weeks, but I'm just saying as far as other situations go on pit road, it's a weird, weird situation because I've seen a, a time where a pit crew member would have a gas can in the race car, and it, let's say Jimmy Johnson has a gas can in his race car, and he drags it, he, the, the, the crewman is pulling it out of the race car as they're pulling away, and it drags across the pit box, and they get a penalty for it. How is this a, like a different situation? To me, that's a safety situation because you sit there and you're saying, I don't want the gasket. I don't want – and we saw a – at one time we saw a jack on the racetrack a couple of years ago with with a race car. We don't want to see that either on a racetrack. I think that's a, that's a safety situation. So how come they can't stop and just pull the jack out and not get a penalty from it when you can do that with lug nuts? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, John. Well, to me, I think Scott Miller's probably just justifying what they wound up doing yesterday with his uh, saying that they've called this particular thing the past couple years the same way. The rule is if you pit outside of the box, you go to the tail end of the longest line, which is tail end Charlie, because everybody's going to be in front of you. Yeah, he could have stayed in 16th, but he would have had to pass 25 other cars to get up to 15th until the next pit stop. I think that's what should have been done. Even Stevie Letarte, who is Mr. Hendrick Motorsports, started as sweeping the, sweeping the shops, became Dale Jr.'s crew chief. 
Steve Letard is unapologetically still a Hendrick Motorsports fan because that's where he grew up. And he even said NASCAR needs to take another look at it because from what he knew as a crew chief, that's a penalty. And when you've got somebody who's basically still knows every all the ins and outs of Hendrick Motorsports saying that should be a penalty, it should have been a penalty. But we'll see what happens if they call it again. They, ha- I mean, everybody knows now you can pit anywhere for your lug nuts. I wonder if, um, say, for example, Casey Kane's two spot, two pit, I mean, two boxes down, they stop in Kane's pit and they put the lug nuts on. Is that a penalty? Saving a safety violation. It just isn't his team pit. I mean, his crew pit in the car. So I think NASCAR is open to can of worms that somebody's going to exploit and then get bit in the ass. Yeah, and listen, it just doesn't make sense to me as far as how they rule other penalties. Like I said, when, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if they said, hey, you know what, Joe Logano had a jack underneath his race car. He stopped, they pulled it out, and, well, it hurt him because he had a, he had a, uh, a jack underneath his race car, and they pulled it out for a safety issue. But that's not how they rule it. And what if this was under green flag conditions? This is what I, I have a problem with. You know, and talk about safety, for, for example. Jimmy Johnson stops in somebody else's box to put a lug nut on uh, because it would help his race because he doesn't have to come back down and put lug nuts on. Uh, or, you know, it just, to me, if that's under green flag, that's a completely different situation. Maybe NASCAR rules it differently. I don't know. But that's not the way it sounds here where, well, under caution, no. It's, well, that's the way we always rule it with the lug nuts. To me, under, if it's under green flag conditions and J- Jimmy Johnson does that, that's, a, that's a, you know, hurting somebody else's chance at winning a race. That's hurting somebody else's pit crew, could potentially hurt somebody else's pit crew. I think it's more dangerous when you do it that way instead of having them come back down. Now, he would have went to the end of the longest line here, John. Uh, like you said, tail end Charlie. And he would have really, really been screwed there. Uh, and, and he probably wouldn't have had as good a finish as he had. You know, and I think that's where a lot of people have a problem with it because Johnson ends up seventh, and that's an okay day. We talked about, you know, they weren't really up front and leading a lot of laps, but that's a decent day, seventh. But, you know, if he had to restart back all the way behind the lap cars and everything, he might have ended up like 15th. And those eight eight points are huge right now. And especially if the 48 is not going to win a race. So they they got a big break there, in my opinion, as far as putting the lug nuts on and not getting a penalty. Yeah, they did. I mean, who knows what could have happened in the gap between um, um, everything that's – if he would have had to start tail end, Charlie had to work his way through the field. He probably could have – uh, ran into some issues, which probably um, could have ended up putting him uh, 25th, 30th for the day. He could have ran into something, could have ran over something, could have been a big headache. So it's uh, a mess that shouldn't have happened, and we'll see how NASCAR calls it as the day goes forward. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I'm curious to see how teams exploit this. I think that's uh, you know, now that everybody's kind of got it and it's aware, um, I'm curious to see how teams exploit this, if at all, if you can. But, again, I think under green flag conditions is where you got to watch it because if for some reason, you know, a team does that it, and they fit outside the box, they're not going to come down. They shouldn't have to come down for a drive-through. So I'm going to stop even if it's two pit stalls down and put a lug nut on. So 
it's a little bit wonky as far as how that's ruled under green flag conditions. Now let's seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero Clayton Cole with John Harlow here with you talking in circles. Uh points here, John. And we, when you look at the uh it was the first race of round two. When you look at the points, this is top twelve right now that are in the, the playoffs. They eliminate four after Kansas, so we got Talladega and Kansas coming up. So there's still two races and a a wild card race at Talladega and another mile and a half at Kansas. So it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. But if you look at points right now, Matt Kansas is one point behind Jamie McMurray for eighth, two points behind Jamie McMurray for eighth is Brad Keselowski. Then you have a little bit of a gap where you have five points behind Jamie McMurray is Ryan Blaney, and then behind that you have ten points behind Jamie McMurray is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Three Fords in the bottom four. I don't think that surprises anybody. Um, any surprises as far as guys right now who had a tough day at Charlotte that you expect to to regain their momentum here at Talladega and figure out a way to make this final the the elite eight, whatever you want to call them, and round three of the playoffs as we get out of the Kansas Speedway. Well, the way the way it's been. Um... Keep your eye on Stenhouse. I mean, he's won the last two restrictor plate races. Uh, he's put himself in the right position. Uh, like you said, like we said, Talladega's a crapshoot. I'd rather watch my daughter ride her bicycle than watch a restrictor plate race because it's just a matter of waiting for who's going to make the smallest mistake and take out half the field, and then you then you're looking at 25 cars at the end of the race. I mean. You look at the Daytona 500 this year, that was just a mess, not just because they were taking each other out, but then they were running out of gas at the end. Um, I think Kenseth will be strong because he's a Toyota. He's got the horsepower and everything. I think Stenhouse has found a way to stay there. He does well in restrictor plate races. I think Denny and Kyle, I mean, if I'm halfway smart and I'm Joe Gibbs racing, if I'm Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and Matt Kenseth, I just lock onto each other's bumpers and we go all day long together and we come as a team, we go as a team and all three of them with the horsepower that they have, they'll be able to make a big uh, statement together. But if they end up getting spread out, it could end up being trouble for one of them. Um, I think Harvick will be fine because Harvick runs great at restrictor plate races. Um, Larson, I'm nervous if I'm him because he's not the best restrictor plate racer but he's got a good enough points lead up there right now. I mean, he's got um, 28 on McMurray right now. So he'll be able to have a bad day and probably still be able to make it up with a good day at Kansas. Um, But if I'm Keselowski and Blaney, I'm sticking together, trying to get up front. It's the ones that I'm worried about more than anything. I'm actually worried about the Hendrick cars. I don't think, Chase Elliott's the greatest. I mean, he's a good qualifier at restrictor plate races. But, I mean, you look, the last time he tried to go upside down. Johnson hasn't really done much at restrictor plates lately. McMurray always tries to do more than he really should. If he shows the patience and instead of trying to be the bull in the china shop, which he tries to put himself three wide in places he doesn't need to early in the race, if he sticks around to the end, he might have a chance, but I think Kenseth is smart enough to, I mean, Kenseth is always the guy who's, you, where'd he come from? And Harvick's the where'd he come from guy. I mean, Truex, again, we can say he, he could put the car under the cover after five laps and say, I don't feel like being in this mess. 
and have no problem. Yeah, and I think I think that's the way you got to approach this. At least hang out for the first part of the race if you're Martin Truex Jr. Be interesting to see if they agree with our strategy. But I agree with you. I think the teams that are fifth to eighth really are in a curious situation because it's like, how do you play it? Do you want to throw your potential playoffs away by going too hard too early? But if you get into the rear of the field, you get to the back, you not, might not get up there because it's just so hard to pass here. And so many people are going to the front. And you have the, the stage points, which could be huge for people who are outside these, uh, who have, don't have a win. Jay McMurray, look at a guy like him because you sit there and go, he hasn't had a win all year. He, he's got to point his way into the third round because he doesn't win enough. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson's right now seventh in points. He might have to point his way in. So you want to get as many points as you possibly can. And it might be a situation where if you win the stage, the first two stages, you get 20 points. You might sit there and go, you know what? I'm I'm okay with – I'm going to try and sit to the front. But if I get shuffled down here and I got 20 points, stage points or 19 or, or 15 stage points, and I get shuffled out with I'll tend to go, I'm not going to try and fight my way to get back up there. I'm going to sit there and go, you know what? Let everybody else go out there. If it's a big crash, I can keep my point. I can – points my way in and get in that way and I'm not involved in the big wreck. So it's going to be very interesting throughout the event to see how these guys approach this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway because, again, it's the stage points have changed the game of restricted plate racing. Restricted plate racing for sure was a... And I think it's really helped... The stages have really helped restricted plates. I don't know if we... Again, if we don't have to throw the necessary caution, but just putting those points on the line for two two times during the race has helped people race hard and gain their points. Guy, teams are having a bad year. They might want to salvage something. You know, A.J. Almeninger, who hasn't had the year he's wanted to have, might want to salvage some points and gain some points. That's an easy way to do it as you're to play at Talladega. So those guys are going to be really fighting hard, and the people running for championship might might say, you know what, let those guys bang it out for a little while. But I might be wanting to get those points, like I said, where if I get in a situation at the end and I'm three wide in the middle, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to the back because I'm going to take my points and call it a day. What are your thoughts on, on how these teams, you know, fifth through ninth, fifth through really ninth and tenth approach this weekend here, John? I think part of it depends on how they qualify. Um, if they qualify in the top ten, they're going to stay up front and race or you know what's off. If they qualify 25th to 30th, they're going to ride in the back until the final stage or – Take a spot where, because Talladega is not that tough on tires. They may do a two-tire two stop and try to get some track position out of it and make a run at it then. But, I mean, it a lot of it depends on their qualifying. Um, if you're starting 18th, 19th, you're sort of in no man's land because you're close enough to the front, but you're close enough to the rear. And you don't know which way you're going to go because if you're in the middle, there's no... There's no way out of the big one. If you're in the front, you can drive past it because it's usually behind you. And if you're in the back, there's a chance you can get woed up before you get to it. So if you're in the middle, you're kind of hosed one way or the other because you're just going to drive in it or be a part of it, and it's not going to be your fault. And that's the reason I, one of the reasons I don't like restrictor plate race being in the championship playoffs because this whole race, the driver – has no say in what happens. There's so much that's going to be done by somebody who's not even in the playoffs that could end up taking somebody who is a legitimate playoff contender 
completely out of the out of contention for a championship. I mean, Kyle Kyle Busch had his mulligan on he had his mulligan yesterday. I mean, he went from second to what sixth in points, and he's mm-hmm. now in danger of getting getting cut at the end of Kansas. I mean, it's one of those ones where you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, and it's how how lucky you are compared to who's driving beside you. You got to hope that they don't make this the smallest mistake and take out half the field. Yeah, and I think it made Charlotte essential. You know, it made running good at Charlotte a huge situ- team, a huge situation for those teams. You know, you, know, you talked about Cabo. She's a championship contender in a lot of people's minds. He had a bad day at Charlotte, and now you're sitting there going, if he wrecks at Talladega, he might be in a situation at Kansas where win there or you're done. And, I mean, that 18 car could do that, but who would have thought that coming out of, uh, last week at Dover because he's just they've had such a great year. So um, do you think these guys should race? You know, it's an interesting question because New, what happened with Ryan Newman last week where we discussed uh, Newman not giving up the, uh, the lead lap for Chase Elliott and really hurt Chase Elliott's chances at winning a race. But Newman has his own race to run. And I feel the same way about these smaller teams. But do you think there should be a little bit more respect given for these smaller teams where they sit there and go, don't make it three wide when you don't have to? Or should they run the race the way they want to, as aggressive as they have to, to win it and to give themselves the best finish as possible? Um, what are your thoughts on that with these restricted play racing before we get to the Xfinity race at Charlotte? I think that they need to run the best race they can. That's why they're there. But also, you don't want to be the guy who takes out the guy who has a chance to win it all. So it's if you're taking if you're blocking somebody or in the way and trying to make your car wide so you can stay on the lead lap and run the race you can. That's one thing, especially when you're trying to stay in the chase, which or the playoffs, which Newman was doing last week at Dover. I mean, that was his one shot. If he goes a lap down to Chase Elliott at that point in time, he doesn't get his he doesn't get the lap back and he's going to have no chance at getting that one extra point he needed to get in the playoffs. Um, but if you're the David Reagans, the Reed Sorensons, and all that, you don't want to be the guy who takes – I mean, you remember when Morgan Shepard, they made a big deal when he ran uh, at New Hampshire a couple years ago on the Cup Series because he was over 70 driving a Cup race. And it's like, great, Morgan Shepard's here. And then he gets in Joey Logano's way and wrecks him out of the lead. You don't want to be that guy. And that's where you're sort of, again, caught in the middle being um, the mid-packers and the ones who really aren't in playoff contention. You want to run the best race you can, but you don't want to be the guy taking out somebody who has a chance at a championship. Oh, absolutely. I think it's a it's a tightrope that these guys walk here. Um at the restricted plates because they have a chance to win, like you said, and it's really one of their only chances to go out and win a race. Um, so I think it really hurts the fact that, uh, you know, if they, like you said, you don't want to be Morgan Shepard. That was, that's a great example because of what happened with him in Logano at New Hampshire. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero here talking circles, Clayton Colwell, John Harlow here with you. Uh, we're going to break down the, uh, drive for the Cure 300 from Charlotte Motor Speedway. A very, very interesting winner at the end of that race, John, where Alex Bowman driving for Chip Ganassi Racing in the 42 car, HendrickCars.com sponsorship. 
Uh, you know, we know he's taking over the 88 car next season. Uh, he beat Sam Horst Jr., who had a really fast race car, and Ryan Blaney, who had a really fast race car. Um, a, a solid win for Alex Bowman, a, a statement for those people, myself included, who thought, well, maybe Bowman, um, you know, kind of got hired for what he did last year in that 88 car, and he should, he's been sitting all year, kind of a curious hire, but he goes out there and says, you know what? I've been learning a lot, and he proves that he can win the next winning series race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And the one thing is that forty that forty two car has always been solid, especially with Kyle uh, Larson been driving it, and Daniel Hemrick's been or not Daniel Hemrick, uh, the other former Keselowski driver who's in that forty two car. Um, it's been a Tyler good Reddick. car all year. Yeah, Tyler Reddick, and he won at Chicago with it. Right. So it's been, been a pretty good car all year, and. Um, but the thing is, when you look at um, Alex Bowman, he's been due. Um, and there was a lot of wondering whether he was the guy to go into that 88 car. It's part of the reason Jeff Gordon drove half of the races last year. Um, because Nationwide wasn't sure what Alex Bowman could do in that car. And when you saw him before, when he wrote, drove for BK Racing, he drove for Tommy Baldwin. He struggled. It wasn't like he was a dart without feathers, but he wasn't competitive either of those two seasons. And it's part of the reason he wasn't there anymore. I mean, but he did decent when he drove for Junior Motorsports and Xfinity Series. Um, And him driving for Ganassi on Saturday was a great win. Um, Tough break for William Byron throughout the day. Allgaier blows an engine, but still goes through. Um, Tough break for... Brendan gone one point away from making the playoffs. I mean, Ryan Reed did exactly what he needed to do. Keep Brendan gone in your sights. If he's the guy right in front of you, you know, you're safe. Yeah. And he did. And, uh, just a, a, like you said, a heartbreak for Brendan gone. He finished 11th spot. Ryan Reed was 12th. Real quick. Give me the top 10 Bowman, Sam Hornish Jr. were second. Then it was Blaney, Austin Dillon, Brendan Poole, Cole Custer, Daniel Hemrick, Daniel Suarez, Matt Tiff, and L.A. Sadler. Side note here quick. Matt Tift was announced this week he will drive for Rich Childress Racing next year, leaving Joe Gibbs Racing. So a little interesting, uh, silly season news in the Xfinity Series. See how that goes for next season. Uh, speaking of the playoffs and the championship here, John, quick, you talk about gone missing. Michael Annette as, as well, he, he's out. Blake Cook, who I thought that team uh, could have put up a better – was going to put up a better effort in the first round of the playoffs. They didn't. They were very disappointing. And Jeremy Clements – uh, those four guys, Dawn, Annette, Cook, and Clements, um, outside of the playoffs looking in. As they get ready, they'll, they will be off this weekend at Talladega. They will run Kansas, then off again. Then they will run Texas and Phoenix before they get to uh, Homestead Miami Speedway. So only three rounds for the Xfinity Series instead of the Cup Series where we see four rounds. 917-889-8280. Interesting article here, John, on uh, – from jeffcork.com tonight. Um, it's about Tommy Joe Martins, who's had his own blog there for a little while, and then uh, now he's using the avenue of Jeff Gluck to come out and um, talk about finances of the sport. And he gave a lot of great details uh, about – we were one that talked about it last year as far as um, that the teams get 25% of the – TV money, which is NASCAR signed a 10-year, $820 million per year, uh, $8.2 billion contract, which equals $820 million a year, 
Um, the tra- NASCAR gets 10%, the track gets 65%, and the teams get two, get 25%, which equals a roughly $200 million per year. And that's for all three series. But it's broke, as of 2014, it was broken down as the Cup Series got 93%, the Xfinity Series got 5%, and the Truck Series got a half a percent, which worked out to be $1,000 a race. It got restructured, um, and now that it, it seemed like the Truck Series got a 2% take from uh, the TV deal. Very interesting. He also brought up insight about, um, you know, where he thinks it should be. He thinks the cup should be around 70, Xfinity around 20, trucks around 10%. What are your thoughts on this whole uh, Tommy Joe Martin's, you know, breaking down these these salaries and, and these figures for us on JeffGluck.com? something that not a lot of fans and not a lot of media members have access to because they don't know what it takes to run a race team. Um, I think it was an interesting uh, breakdown. I think on his, um, how he can make a, how somebody can make a profit is kind of a stretch because I mean, if you look at it, the way he has it set up the cup series. Yeah. Okay. He's saying a cup driver gets 180,000 a year. If they go five thousand dollars per race, a crew chief gets twenty five hundred a week, which is one hundred twenty five thousand a year. I'm telling you, if you're in the top thirty in the Cup Series, you're getting a hell of a lot more than that. I mean, I think when we were looking at the Denny Hamlin article, he said about um, when the Castle made five hundred thousand dollars driving for uh, BK Motorsports or BK racing. So, I mean, if you look at the way he has the Xfinity budget set up and the truck series budget, the driver actually gets less than the crew chief and the crew crew chief's only going to get 75 grand a year. Um, the way he has it set up in the Xfinity series and the crew chief's only going to get 50,000 a year on the truck series. Those guys are putting 60, 80 hours a weekend. Nobody who's any good is going to go through that kind of hell and that kind of work. For fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars a year. I mean, I make more than that, and I don't have to think as much or work as hard as those guys do. So, I mean, his budget is kind of, unless he's doing this completely off of just the NASCAR money that's spread to the teams. But I mean, it doesn't. I don't think he counts in sponsorship for any of this stuff. And you know, the big teams are always going to have the big team stuff where they're going to have big sponsors and everything. I still think NASCAR doesn't need an official anything unless if they're going to do an official anything, NASCAR should spread that amongst the team and put that in the kitty. It's sort of like the NFL. When the NFL TV deal, it goes equally to everybody. And that's what the teams get. They sell their sponsorship on top of it, but they make it so the teams can survive off of the TV money and the revenue from the sales of the Uh, everything at the stadiums. The difference is the stadiums are each for the teams instead of the way we have it is in NASCAR with 40 teams going to stadiums owned by NASCAR, the France family, basically, and Bruton Smith. So it just, no matter what, you're not investing in the product, you're investing in the place that holds a product, and that's a problem. I'd like to see first thing I'd like to hear is how these cup owners feel about this. Because to me, I mean, and this is where you kind of get 
a little double-edged sword here because you sit there and go, well, we want to be a triple-A series to the Cup Series. Okay, triple-A series, you know, triple-A baseball doesn't get the TV money Major League Baseball does. There's no triple-A in football to get the money there does. There does. Yeah, it's spread over the teams, but they're all Major League teams. So when you look at the, uh, you know, NASCAR Cup Series, they're spread evenly throughout the team. And I think these cup owners will sit there and say, I don't think so, buddy. I've worked hard for my – I put a lot more on the line. Yes, I get a lot more out of it. I get a lot more sponsorship. I get a lot more, um, you know, money through merchandise and stuff like that. I got a lot more purse money. But I'm also providing race cars 36 weeks where you're only providing them for 24. Um, I'm also paying these stars to go out there and risk their lives a lot of money. I'm the one that's got to build new race cars. I'm the one that's building these engines. Whoa, 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 where do you think you're going with my money? So it's all well and grand and great to have this idea and plan, and I love it because what I liked about this article was it just lets you know what the figures are because I had somebody come up to me today on, on Facebook and ask me, how did this certain truck team shut down? How are they not making money? And it's like, well, I don't know what else to explain to you, but they're not making anything off the purse. The truck series you know, yeah, they got a nice uh, a TV deal where um, Fox Sports wants a nice deal for them, but if you're not running in the top five, they're not showing you on TV much. Um, so it's hard for them to make money. And I think it just shows you the kind of – I think it's good to, to read uh, the exact figures. There's somebody who has a really pretty good idea about these figures, and I think he's right on that. But as far as this ever happening, I just don't see it because, like I said, these couple owners are going to say, I don't think so. The RTA is going to say, I don't think so, because the RTA doesn't include the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series. Yeah, I think the RTA is kind of in bed with the France family when it comes to how everything's split up. The key to it's going to be not the couple, I mean, not the Xfinity level, not the truck level. It's going to be when the Denny Hamlins, the Brad Keselowski's, and all those guys. I mean, Brad was the first one to really get hit by it because with um, things dwindling, sponsorship struggling and all that stuff. I mean, you remember when Brad first got into that two car, it was Miller Lite, all 36 races. Now you've got Detroit Diesel on there. You've got the uh, aircraft uh, manufacturer on there, the glider manufacturer on there. You've got a few of the other things. I mean, it's not Miller Lite, all 36 races. I think Miller Lite's down to about 22. And the money that isn't coming in from sponsorship is probably is what cost Brad having the contract he hoped for. And he's out there putting his life on the line every time he puts his helmet on. Same thing with Denny. Denny's co- Denny Hamlin just did his contract last year, so he's got a couple more years to go until he gets into this. I mean, when Matt Kent is going around with his helmet saying, Hey, uh, this is what my price tag is. And he's not coming down from it. And Matt Kenseth is going to be sitting in Wisconsin next, next fall when the playoffs come around having his season tickets for the Packers and finally be able to go to the games. That's a sad part of this sport. It's sad where you can't start a team, build yourself a good driver and move forward. And, see the other team. I mean, you can see the big team suck up your good driver or the driver like Matt Kenseth going down and helping a struggling team get better. That isn't going to happen anymore because the money isn't there. 
and there's too much money. I still say 65% going to the tracks is almost despicable because the tracks aren't what make the sport. The drivers, the teams are what make the sport. You can have the best stadium in the world, but if you have a crappy product, who's going to go? Right. And you and look at Charlotte. Of... You look at Charlotte. It was a third field on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, again, I think a lot of this is coming from that figure, like you just said, 65%. We saw the drivers, Hamlin, come out last week and say what he said. They're looking at that TV money, and the drivers are screaming, why is my salary going down? If Richmond can go out and build a $30 million renovation, Daytona can put $400 million in their track, Phoenix can do renovations, why is my salary going down? I'm the, I'm the star. I'm the one people paying to come see. They don't care. If, if, I, was in, if I was running a race at uh, South Boston Speedway, they'd come see me at South Boston Speedway. I'm the star. They don't care about your, the racetrack. They don't really come to the racetrack for that. The majority of people don't. Now, Talladega might be a little bit different because Talladega is unique, but the scores mile and a half tracks go, there's so many of them. Um, it's just, to me, it makes these drivers and these teams sit there and go, whoa, 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 we need more of that TV money. And I think this is where all this stems from. But I don't see it changing. Like you said, it's an ISC, SMI-ran sport right now. Uh, Dover's got their, their one racetrack, Dover Motorsports um, Incorporated. They got their one racetrack in the Cup Series, and they got Gateway and, and a couple others in the lower divisions. But it's not going to change unless we see a strike of, of some kind. Uh, I don't think it's going to change. Final word of the night from you here, John, uh, as far as the, the green and, and the money and how the money is spent here in NASCAR. The one thing you look at when NASCAR signed that contract with NBC and Fox, the ratings were averaging about a five. Now they're averaging about a three. And that money is still there for the rest of this contract, which is another eight years. Mm -hmm. Eight years from now, the chickens will come home to roost. Because if they're still sitting there at a three rating, and they're still only half selling out the tracks, and everybody's buying rides, so you don't have somebody who is a true locked-in racer. I mean, like we said, look at Ryan Priest and what he's done in good equipment. He didn't buy that ride. He got a couple. He got a couple races where Gibbs wasn't able to put in their Cup guys, and he made the most of them. He was phenomenal. But until we can continue to grow real drivers who are phenomenal at racing cars. We're going to have ride buying, and in eight years, it's going to be a mess. Yeah, and the Xfinity Series is worse because of what Tommy Joe pointed out in the uh, in the article where the purse money for those series have gone down, and they're not nearly where they were five, ten years ago, and it's become almost impossible to compete. If you're a small team, it's become impossible to compete without somebody else's money because you're going against the Cup Series teams. So I think that's a major, major thing. And in the truck series, it's the same way. And I think that's why you saw Red Horse Racing and Brad Keselowski saying, you know what, we've had enough. It's done. We, we've beat our heads against the wall for too many years. And financially, it just doesn't make sense anymore. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. Uh, we'll be back here next time breaking down the NASCAR news. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Twitter. See you next time on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.